Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. If you got your Bible, get it out. Go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. We are going to talk about praise this morning. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, past couple of weeks, we have been in the Psalm, Psalm 3. We walked through uh, worry and anxiety and, and looked at uh, how do we walk through life when, when things seem really tensed up like that, when things are out of, our, out of our control. Last week, we looked at the first half of Psalm 22, and we were trying to look at how do we walk with God when God seems so far from us, when God seems silent, right? When we are crying out to him and it seems like he's abandoned us. Uh, well, I think just after getting into the study of Psalm 22, what I realized is I could not put that all in one, one sermon because there was just so much for us, which is great because that means this morning we really get a whole sermon to, to kind of look at Psalm 22's answer to these really heavy things that we spent the last two weeks talking about. That's what, what's getting me so excited. And got a little bonus thing, right in the middle of the back half of this psalm, is a Thanksgiving feast. I kid you not, you're gonna see it. That's incredibly timely. And at both of our campuses this morning, we're gonna be baptizing, which is a great celebration of praise to the Lord. It is a really good day for us, y'all. I'm excited about it, that's right. Here's what's gonna happen. The second half of Psalm 22 is gonna put front and center a tool that God has equipped the church with. That's what gets me so excited for it. It's the tool that's to carry us through times of, of pain and suffering. It's the tool to help push back unbelief and doubt when God does seem silent. It's the tool that God's given us to stir up faith in one another, to speak and breathe life into one another. It's the tool that God has given us to carry the hope of Christ to those who don't know it yet. It's the tool that God has given us to show our children that we really do believe this message that God has given us in Christ. And that tool is praise. It's praise. But the problem is, we often don't think of praise as this really versatile tool that God has given us that is so powerful with so much potential. And because of that, we miss so much of what is available to us in it. It's kind of like um, when you get the latest technology, whatever it is, and you only know how to use at best 20% of it, right? Like when my grandfather, um, he loved watching baseball. My dad loves gadgets. So my dad would always try and get my grandfather, the latest TV, right? So back before smart TVs, there were TVs. And there were these TVs that were like, I don't know, somewhat intelligent TVs. And so dad got Pop a brand new, like thousand inch, somewhat intelligent TV. And um, it was about 20 years ago, the remotes came out with this button that said PIP on it. You guys remember this? And that meant picture in a picture. Okay, now Pop just wants to sit in his recliner and watch baseball 
and football and basketball. He just wants to watch sports. So sit back, watch those things, right? So he doesn't care, just wants to watch TV. So we're over there installing the new somewhat intelligent TV. And I say, Pop, you got to check this out. He's like, I just want to watch baseball, Spencer. He always puts the R on my name because that's just his right. All right. So he puts, so he said, I just want to watch baseball. I said, I know. Here's what's great. You can watch two games at the same time. Hit this button. He hits it. And he leans forward in his chair as another game comes up inside of the game already happening, right? And I said, Pop, it gets even better. Hit the swap button. And when you hit the swap button, all of a sudden the game switch when a big moment's happening. And he says, what in tarnation? Like under his breath, that's how you know you've gotten Pop. You'd have thought I had split the atom and shown him a whole new universe, right? And then what does he ask next? He goes, well, what else can it do? And because he's, you know, he's a little bit sarcastic. He's like, can it order me dinner? You know, because that's just, that was pop. But it, when he saw that it could do something, he started saying, what else? What else? And he starts fidgeting and playing with that thing for hours and hours. Y'all listen, I, I feel like most of us, when it comes to praising God, are a little bit like my grandfather. We just want to do what 20% is available to us. We know about 20% of the power of praise, and we miss out on so much more that God has for us. Most of us think of praise as upbeat church songs, right? Like there are hymns, you know, hymn H-Y-M-N-S for some of you. All right, that's where you sing the first, second, and fourth stanza of a song that's written down in a book, okay? I don't know what a stanza is, nor do I know why the third verse is cursed and you're not supposed to sing it, but that's what you do, okay? And then you know you're getting to the fourth verse because the organ just goes, I mean, all out, right? She's going in, hair's moving back and forth, and she's in it for that fourth one to know that this is where we're indicating real praise and celebration, right? Um, that's a little bit of my past coming out for you. And then there are praise songs, right? And in praise songs, that's where we have guitars, drums, and we go hard in the paint with that chorus, right? Because that's what we, we know we love that. And, you know, those are things that we sing and we think that's what we do for the musical part of the church worship service. And then there's, of course, some of you that not only is it the musical part of the church worship service, you go full force in your car, right? Because you're like me. And so you get that um, song and I love it. And, you know, you're, you got that. What's the latest one come out now that I love singing? Oh, the overwhelming never ending. Yeah. See y'all. Yeah. Yes. I knew y'all secretly listen to all that too. And you're kind of swaying back and forth and your car's moving back and forth because you're kind of in it. And that's where, that's where you go. Right. And that's good. Right. Praise is singing to one another with Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's Ephesians five, but it's just, only part of it. It's only part of it. Today, as we look at the second half of Psalm 22, I want us to learn the power of praise. I want God to, y'all have been praying this, that God would unleash a life of praise in us as a church, in each one of us. That's why I'm so excited, because God has given you this powerful thing called praise to carry you through times of worry and darkness and doubt, and you're going to praise him. Listen, this is what we're going to say over and over today. For who he is, and for what he's done. That's what carries you through. A couple of years ago, uh, we were in a Psalm, Psalm 63. And in that Psalm, David showed us, uh, David's the writer, showed us how we worship God in good routine times is actually training for how we worship God in hard times. Uh, in short, we said routine worship becomes training for wilderness worship. That's kind of what I want you to see today is that there's a day coming where you're going to need more than three or four songs on Sunday to carry your soul. All right, and God has given us this practice of praise that will do just that. But we got to grab hold of it and learn it. So simple main point for today, okay? Thing I'm hoping you walk out of here with. 
is I will praise the Lord for who he is and what he has done. I'm going to praise the Lord for who he is and what he's done. Heard one pastor say, praise is the, it's the ability at any moment to say, I don't know what's going to happen here. And I don't know why it's happening, but I'm going to worship you, God, for who you are. I don't know what my future, the way he said, I don't know what my future holds, but I know the one who is holding my future. So I'm going to choose to praise the Lord even now. So today in Psalm 22, we're talking about praise. To train you, that's my goal, to train you to praise the Lord every day, that you can have joy every day, and so that you can, can experience the sustaining power of God in the hard days. All right, so here's the outline for today. For those of you that love a good outline and know where we're going, we're really just going to walk through. If you don't, wanna, don't have to write this down, because we're just going to walk through the back half of Psalm 22, starting in verse 22. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what praise is, then why we should praise the Lord, then how we should praise the Lord, and then what happens when we praise the Lord. What is it? Why should we do it? How should we do it? And what happens when we do it? All right, pretty simple. Let's jump in. Verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. Here's our first question. What is praise? Let's talk about it first from a a human perspective. Because what I want you to see first is that praising is something that is built right into all of us. Okay? Praise is our response. This is the working definition I'm going to give you. Our response to something we experience, which we believe to be worthy of celebration. All right? That's what praise is. Our response to something that we experience so that we believe that thing is worthy of celebration. We see something that impresses us, inspires us, and we can say in so many words or not, wow, look at that. I mean, I do it a lot. I know. Maybe it's because of my grandfather. I do a lot with sports moments. Right When UNC was in the championship against Villanova a couple of years ago, I had the chance to actually go. Old college buddy, I graduated from UNC, old college buddy, invited me to come down to the game. Right, It was awesome. We're down in Houston, awesome championship game. Time is winding down. It's about, time's about to run out. There's only about two seconds left. UNC is down three, and Marcus Page jumps up and hits the greatest shot in the history of college basketball. I am not kidding. He double clutches with two guys on him, legs spread, and shoots a three and nails it. All right, greatest shot ever. It's not his fault that then the guy came down the court and hit the greatest shot in college basketball right after he did, okay? That's not his fault, not his problem, but that's what happened, right? But when he hit that shot, we went crazy. We were hugging, right? We're crying. Yes, it's it's amazing. Did you see that? We're going nuts because what we saw was worthy of our celebration, we thought. um, C.S. Lewis, you all know, uh, is a guy that I feel like really just has a good understanding of the human um, perspective. He said in his... Uh, He said his big breakthrough in learning to praise God was when he started to realize that it was human nature to praise. I'll show you what he said. He said, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, even rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars, right? He goes on. This comes out of his book, Reflections on the Psalms, which I would highly recommend to you. And he says what the psalmists are doing in telling us to praise God, they're doing what all people do when they care about something. And what Lewis said, he said he realized that he had a problem when he was unwilling to give to God that which he would readily give to everything else he valued. 
And I think that all connects to us a little bit. If you think real quick about whether or not the thought of God, of who he is and what he has done, does that evoke regular, ongoing thanksgiving and joy in your heart? Listen, if it doesn't, it's not that you have a praise problem. You are able to praise just fine, right? This Thursday around the Thanksgiving table, you're going to praise some food, right? But if you get more excited about turkey than you do about Jesus, it's not that you have a praise problem, it's that we have a vision problem. I think this is massively important. If you think it sounds weird to praise God in all areas of your life, it's not because you don't know how. It's just because you're not seeing God like our psalmist sees God. So that's where we're going to go next. Why should we praise the Lord? Last week, again, we looked at 21 and a half verses of despair. The psalm opens, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And goes on to talk about how much he felt abandoned by God and how often we feel that way too when our prayers just aren't answered, especially in the middle of pain. Well, excuse me, when we think our prayers aren't being answered, when we're in the middle of pain, it can feel like God has left us. And Psalm 22, the great thing about it is it gives us words for that pain, right? That words for that doubt. You go back, you listen to get all that. But we ended in verse 21 with those three big words, right? And that, that huge shift. Verse 21 said, save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. And then that big shift, you answered me. When it seemed like God was silent, when all hope was lost, the Lord answered David. And we said, really, Psalm 22 is actually all about Jesus. Jesus was tipping us off when, and when he's up on the cross, quoting verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The tearing of clothing that comes later in this Psalm, the piercing of the hands in this Psalm, it's all about Jesus. And what we know is that when all hope seemed lost, God was actually working his greatest miracle on the cross. God didn't leave Jesus. He put him exactly where he was supposed to be so that he could suffer and die in our place. But even then, even in the darkness of the cross, God was working. God was hearing Jesus's cry. Look at verses 24 and 25 of Psalm 22. You start to see how this is all about Jesus, right? He has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him from help for help. So then the psalmist says, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. In these verses, we're seeing why the psalmist says he's going to praise the Lord. First, it's because the Lord is the Lord. It's because of who he is. The Lord stayed near. The Lord didn't shrug off torment. And Christian, for us, this takes on a mountain of additional meaning. Because when we read this, we're confronted with the fact that Jesus the way we say it is the way Hebrews says it, despised the shame of the cross. I want to put verse 24 against Hebrews 12 too. Let me show you Hebrews 12 too. It says, for the joy that lay before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In both of these passages, the word despise, maybe it'd be helpful for you to think of it as overlooked. Psalm 22 says, God did not overlook the torment of the oppressed, but Jesus did overlook the shame of the cross. He endured humiliating shame on the cross and counted it worth it. 
Why? For the joy that laid before him. Now we're getting to praise. What was the joy that laid before him? It was the salvation of the church, of us. He endured the cross, all its shame, so that you and I wouldn't have to endure the torment of sin. He experienced the full wrath of God poured out on him for our sin so that we didn't have to suffer eternal torment apart from Christ from Christ and from God. So Christian, let me tell you what the cross and resurrection did for us so that maybe by hearing it, you can begin to see why you can and should praise the Lord at all times. Because maybe, maybe the reason you're not praising is because you just haven't seen the footage of the greatest act in history. Maybe you didn't realize the stakes were so high. I don't know but I'm gonna give you a handful of reasons that you should praise the Lord, a handful of things that Christ has done for us. You write them down, you sit in them. I'm writing them first person plural and telling them to you first person plural because I think often we're too individualistic in how we approach God and his grace and his word, but certainly they apply to us individually as well, okay? Here's the first one. First reason you should praise the Lord. In Christ, God rescued us from sin and its penalty of death. That's right. This is the most obvious one, right? You and I, according to Romans 3.23, all have sinned at some point or another. We've sinned against an infinitely holy God. And because that sin corrupts us, we can't be in the presence of a holy and perfect God. His holiness would consume us entirely. So John 3.16 says, for God loved the world this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone believes in him will not perish. If you're having trouble, listen to me, if you're having trouble praising the Lord, if praising the Lord seems odd or distant or something only reserved for musical parts of church worship service, maybe it's because you've forgotten how bad your situation was apart from Christ. You and I were doomed to perish, to spend eternity apart from God, but he rescued us. Christians who understand the gospel don't think of themselves as, as like self-righteous. We are rescued sinners. That's why we're joyful. We've been rescued. And not only rescued from the penalty of sin, how does John 3.16 end? With our second reason to praise the Lord. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, say it, eternal life. In Christ, we have eternal life with God in heaven. That's the hope the entire New Testament is written out of. Jesus says before he leaves, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big, listen, <laughs> in the late 90s, audio adrenaline was on repeat. So some of us were spared. Some of us weren't. Then what happens? Jesus ascends, right? And then all the rest of the New Testament writers endure all their suffering, go to their death, all because they know for certain heaven is waiting for us. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. 2 Timothy 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely where? To his heavenly kingdom. Hebrews 10, 25, encourage one another in the middle of all the suffering. Why? As you see the day approaching, the day where we will be with God in heaven. Romans 8, told you last week, present suffering, not worthy to be compared to what? To the glory that will one day be revealed in us. Revelation 21, heaven comes down and is brought to earth and everything is restored. The reason the New Testament writers wrote with such praise is not only because of what they had been saved from, but what they were being saved to. That's why Paul 
writes all these crazy long run-on sentences in the New Testament. I mean, it's terrible holy grammar, okay? That's what happens in there. He just gets lost in excitement and wonder and awe at heaven, and it just bursts out of him. So he just says, now to him who is able to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever, amen, right? He just loses himself in praise. Let's keep going. In Christ, God has restored us from the corruption of empty idols. He saved us from death. He has saved us to heaven, and he has also restored us through Christ. Y'all, in our day, an idol isn't usually a carved statue made out of wood or stone or something. Sometimes it is, but an idol is anything, listen to me, this might help you, anything that is so central to your life that you're, you can't have a meaningful life if you lose it. If, if that thing goes away, your life crumbles. Love, for example, big idol in our culture. If love is your idol, you won't really have boundaries in your relationships. You'll always be in a relationship or trying to be in one. You'll let it control everything you do. You'll never really be at peace because you'll be more and more anxious about how that other person feels about you at all times. You'll need to constantly feel validated in the relationship. If that person leaves you, it won't just be heartbreak. It'll be something much deeper, that crushing that you feel because your idol has left you. Maybe it's money. Money's another big idol. You make more and more, but it costs you more and more to make. It costs you family, it costs you friendships, it costs you time, all sacrifice to the idol of wealth. Children are another. I need my children to be successful. I need them to love me. I need them to be perfect, right? That just sets you up for disappointment. Children are terrible idols, right? Oh my goodness. Mm, hallelujah, yes, parents in the room, right? All idols, Prom they promise some kind of salvation, some kind of security, some kind of sense of peace and self-worth, and they never deliver. They just keep asking more and more out of you. And all the while, they're infecting your soul. But Christ comes along and says, you don't have to look anywhere else. You don't have to look anywhere else for approval because in him, God says, now you're secure. You have the love you long for. You have eternal riches in heaven you have the approval because he calls you son or daughter. And Jesus comes and he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is what he's talking about. There's a lyric that we sing here um, often. Our team wrote it and I can't help but just, it's one of those that just makes me erupt in, in praise. It's the song, it comes from the song, Good, Great. Love the song. Um, we're putting out an album in January that we recorded over the, over the year and at a worship night. And that's like the title track. And there's this line that says, I am not my sin, and I will never be again. There is freedom in the Lord our God. Do you believe God has set you free? In short, is what I'm asking, church. Do you believe God has set you free from that sin? Do you believe what Jesus says in John 8, that whoever is in sin is a slave to anyone who sins, is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you believe in Christ, what he says, 2 Corinthians 5, that you're a new creation? The old has gone, the new has come. You've been restored to so those labels that used to define you, don't define you anymore. There's only one label. That label is Christ. Do you believe that? Do you rehearse that gospel truth? Because if you do, you will instinctively, it'll be muscle memory reaction. You will praise the Lord. Let me keep going. In Christ, we have the presence of God with us now. Not only... Has he saved us from 
Eternity apart from God, not only has he saved us to eternity with God, not only has he restored our souls, he has given us his presence now. That's the Holy Spirit. He promised he would never leave you. And he says, right now, in this moment, and in every moment, in your long commute to work, in the hospital, even in the DMV lobby, where all hope seems lost, (laughs) the God of the universe is with you. Listen, really, the gospel says that when you feel abandoned by God, that your instinct is to look at the cross and the empty tomb and remember that was for you. And you remember that, that the God who went there said, you are sealed. When you believe that that was for you, when you receive that gift of salvation from your sins, he says, Ephesians 1, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of our redemption. Jesus said it was actually better for him to go away so that you could have the Spirit of God with you. And you take that, and take that as strength. You can say, even now, God is with me. That is the Christian hope in the present moment. And there's even, y'all, there's even more promises of what Christ has done. In Christ, we're adopted into God's family, the church. In an age of colossal loneliness. In fact, I'm doing a whole series in January through the gospel of John. And and the problem of loneliness is going to come up time and again. In an age where people are craving friendship, but don't know how to find real friends, how to trust real friends, how to be a real friend, Christ says, I've got a family for you here on earth. One that will be with you and will be the love of God for you. That's why we always talk about how, you hear me talk a lot about membership. You You should belong to the local church. That's why. We commit to one another to serve, speak, and celebrate Jesus to one another. Elders commit to shepherd you, look after your soul. Deacons commit to serve your needs. You commit to use your gifts to serve the body. It's God's design. It's beautiful and it's powerful. The local church is the greatest, most powerful community on planet earth. Nothing can stop it. World powers have risen and fallen, and yet the local church has persisted. It is intentionally multicultural, multi-generational, and in it you can be known and loved as an adopted child of God. You're not alone because God is with you and the church is this tangible reminder of that. You've been, res- listen, you've been rescued from sin. You have eternal life secured. You're a new creation, no longer bound to your old ways. God is with you and you have a people to belong to. Right? That's why we praise the Lord. And if none of that were true, we'd still praise him because he's God. All that alone, all of that makes him worthy of praise. Y'all, I wanted to spend most of, a big chunk of our time anyways, just talking about why we praise the Lord, because pastorally speaking, how you praise the Lord is going to take care of itself if there is an overflowing well of thanksgiving inside of you responding to who God is and what he's done. You spend your time there You believe God is worthy. If your soul has this need to respond to God because he so captured your heart and mind through Christ, you'll be in a good place and you will praise the Lord. Now let's talk about how we do it. Look at verses 25, 26. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. See that line? Of course you see that line. It's in the text and you're looking at it. I will fulfill my vows. I don't know why I say that sometimes. Be gracious with me, okay? Um, I will fulfill my vows. What he's talking about there is a commitment that he made to God that he would celebrate 
the salvation God brings publicly. He would give a, a public celebration whenever it is that the Lord brings it about. Now, again, this gets really cool because of the timing of this weekend. Here's what a vow fulfillment would entail. It would be a large feast where he would invite the rest of the family of God around. He would sacrifice an animal on an altar as an atonement for sins. And then in this great assembly of everyone, you would tell how the Lord was faithful to you. You would recall the Lord's faithfulness. This is 100% a Thanksgiving dinner. And the host is the one standing up and saying, listen, the reason y'all are all here is because I wanted to take a moment and praise the Lord because he rescued me. And I hope, I hope the reason I'm saying it all y'all is I hope that you'll hear my story and be encouraged with where you are right now. Trust the same God that I trust because he's amazing. Here's the first very obvious way. What I'm gonna show you is three ways we worship the Lord, all right? I know I got all kinds of numbered things in here today, but it's just a lot of goodness in Psalm 22. So here we go. The first way we praise the Lord is with our worship, which might be the most obvious thing. Like how else would you praise the Lord? Yes, we come in here on the weekend and we sing. And if you are a Christian, you should be treating Sunday morning like a praise workout and you should be going hard. You shouldn't be worried about how you sound. You shouldn't be worried about the style of music and whether or not it's exactly to your preference. I work with our worship team. They work crazy hard to create a sound that connects to our culture because they're good missionaries for our day. You should be concerned. What you should be concerned with is getting in here before the first song starts. What you should be, that's not because you get extra spiritual points. That's because we only got 70 minutes together. So get in here and unleash praise. Praise him during the sermon. Listen, that's, that's, um, that's amen, that's right, hallelujah, put a hand up, clap, whatever it is. This is for both Independence and Providence Road. You're not saying, let's just do a little training real quick on, on preaching and how we all engage in this. You're not saying that for me, okay? I'm good. I got a wife who loves me. I got, a, I got kids right now that celebrate me, think I hung the moon, okay? I got elders, it's their job to make sure that I'm preaching faithfully, all right? Amen is not this like peer Yelp review moment or something for Spence, all right? It's for the person near you who's struggling to believe. And when you hear me say, in Christ, we have God with us now, and you say, amen, that's you saying, amen means truly, verily. That's you saying, I believe it too. That stirs up faith. Amen is for one another. And listen, you also learn that not just in, in corporate worship, but in private worship, personal worship, you learn to praise the Lord by spending time with them every day. Listen, it's my single greatest desire for our people is a hunger to spend time with God every day. That's it. Cards on the table. It's where I'm trying to take you guys. Spending time, hungering for time with the Lord every day. Because you got 400 plus members of Mercy Church meeting with God every day, praising God, crying out to him for our city. Man, give me that. Any day over anything else, the Lord will move through that group. But then it's praising the Lord with our words outside these walls. What if we started to rethink evangelism as praise? Praising the Lord to people that don't know the Lord. All right, that's the next thing I want to tell you. We praise the Lord by telling others what he's done. Because according to scripture and according right here to Psalm 22, that's what it is. It's expressing in words that which we deem worthy of our celebration. Statistics tell me that less than 4% of Christians will ever share their faith with another person. Less than 4%. That's a problem. Y'all, it just is. 
Listen, we're, by God's grace, baptizing people at both campuses today whose story, simply put, God rescued them from sin and death. And they way, the way that they found out about what Jesus did for them is somebody told them about it. So when I ask you things like, who's your one? Who's your one? Far from God, but close to you. Maybe, maybe the way you need to hear that a little bit differently is, who do you need to praise the Lord to this week? Look, I imagine a lot of you like me have relatives that don't know Christ. Ask the Lord now for opportunities to talk about what you're really thankful for this Thanksgiving. Use words. Listen, you don't need training. Use words. But if you want training, there's plenty of stuff on our website that will train you in how to have that gospel conversation. Go on there and look. But just trust, pray, and then Tell what you're thankful for, for what he has done. And you use the points in this, in this sermon, if nothing else. Here's another one. We praise the Lord through gospel endurance and suffering. This connects to what we talked about the past couple of weeks, right? And really so much to the first 21 verses of Psalm 22. I don't know how else to tell you, plain and simple, hard times come. You live long enough, everybody that's lived long enough knows it. Hard times come. Sometimes they last for a while. What I'm telling you is the reason this psalmist is able to praise the Lord in verse 22 is because he kept going after the Lord in the first 21 verses. He endured. And we can endure. Christ went before us. The Spirit of God is with us as we endure. And that is, there's this incredibly powerful thing that happens when you, over and over, choose to praise the Lord in your suffering. And that's why I say for those of you that are not in suffering now, you need to be praising him now to prepare you to praise him and for that to carry you through when suffering comes. Listen, your suffering may last all the rest of your days on earth. But when you get to that spot where you can praise God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, even if the Lord doesn't save me from this fire, I will never bow to anyone else. That's the one who has found God to be worth it and whose eyes are fixed on heaven where hope reigns. That is hope. That is joy. That is praise that will carry you. Let me close out with what happens when we praise the Lord. I told you the last section of the sermon. I want to show you two spots uh, in this last section, verses 27 through 31. Let me start with verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. Here's what, here's what happens when we praise the Lord. Praise becomes the, motivations, the motivation for missions. Revelation 5 describes the scene where every tribe, tongue, and nation are gathered around the throne. That's why we plant churches across the world because we believe praise needs to be extended to every corner of the world because that's what the nations are doing when they gather around the throne. They're saying, hallelujah, worthy is the lamb. All right, that, that's what they're doing. Wherever there are people, there is a need for the Lord to be praised. About to rename our missions team, our praise expansion team. I haven't cleared that with them, but I mean, my goodness, that's what they're doing. The psalmist is saying a day is coming where every knee will bow, right? That's what he says, every knee will bow. And just as the gospel brings us into right fellowship with God, it also sends us out to the families of the nations that they too might praise God for who he is and for what he has done for them. Let me finish with verses 30 and 31. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation 
will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Here's what happens when we praise the Lord. Praise becomes the legacy that we give our children. We all know how powerful a parent's influence is on their children, for better or for worse. All right, so here's my question to Christians in the room who might be, who, who are parents. Listen, are your kids learning how to praise God from you? Now, here's the, the reality is the answer is yes. They are learning how to praise God, but you might be alarmed at what their praise looks like. Are you modeling praise through your devotional life, through loving your neighbors, through your commitment to the church? Do your kids see Jesus as king or as a spiritual compartment you check in on once a month? Now, look, you can't make them follow Jesus. All right, you can't. That's between God and them. That's God's prerogative. But you can make Jesus worthy of celebration in your home. Y'all, Christ is worthy of our praise. He's worthy. May we be a people who praise the Lord in all times, in all seasons, for who he is and what he's done. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, would we be encouraged, even as we close out our time of worship together today, would we be encouraged by the sound of one another's voices praising you, the King of Kings. Because as we each praise you, it's the sermon where we're preaching, we're saying, yes, I believe it too. Might we stir up faith in one another as we walk out of here today? God, give us courage to praise you among others who don't know you. Give us love. Give us vision of who you are that we might see that you're worthy of that praise. Thank you, Father. May the name of Christ, the cross of Christ, the empty tomb, heaven, God with us, the restoration of our souls, may all of that lift the eyes of our hearts up to see you rightly for who you are. We worship you, King Jesus. In your holy name, we praise you. Amen.